Hey, y'all, this is Adam from Filibuster. We'll get to the ad read in the show momentarily. Before we did, though, I wanted to draw your attention to a GoFundMe that is near and dear to all of our hearts at Filibuster. Uh, If you are a voracious consumer of soccer podcasts, which I you might be, then you know about the Total Soccer Show. Uh, It's based down in Richmond, Virginia, uh, near Ben, and he's actually been a guest on the show. One of the hosts of that program, Daryl Grove, uh, was recently, last week, we found out, uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. And it's going to be a a tough road for for Daryl. And we want him to know, and we want all of you to know that we are on Team Daryl Grove. We are standing behind him and fighting with him every step of the way. And we wanted to draw your attention to a GoFundMe to help him and his wife cover uh, their living expenses while he is going through uh, this recovery and kicking cancer's ass. Um, And if you are able and uh, have the desire to do so, please go to the GoFundMe. Uh, We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for this episode so that uh, you can give give a little bit of money to Daryl's family to help them through this time. fuck cancer and you know team daryl grove with that let's get to the show filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Jason, are you familiar with the early 90s Disney's movie, Disney movie based on the 1890s? Uh, newspaper boy strike newsies. Uh, I know of it. Uh, I had a friend in middle school who absolutely loved uh, the Disney movie version of it. It, it starred Batman. Yes, before he was Batman. Uh, Christian Didn't Bale. Growl, who, uh, if if if, if no, uh, memory serves, I don't remember anyone talking about him growling in that movie. But also spoke with a very thick New York accent, mm-hmm. which is weird because he's Welsh, very Welsh when he's not Batman uh, or or a newsie. Anyway, in 2012 uh, or 2011, somewhere around there, Disney made a stage version of Newsies. And the, the lead got nominated for Tony. Um, there might have been some other no- Tony nominations. And in 2017, they filmed it. Um, and, and released it and it's on Netflix now. And my four-year-old uh, saw it and loves it. Uh, even though it's about, it's a musical about child labor and uh, unionizing and uh, violence related to that. And the newspaper game, not really super kid friendly stuff, except that the main characters are all young, but she enjoys it. She enjoys the music. The opening number of the second act is called King of New York. It's a big tap dancing number and um she was singing it last weekend after we watched it and uh managed to really seamlessly go from that into vamos united uh which is not just a context change but also uh, a language change and she just did it it was great it was beautiful it was perfect uh and i was like you know what we are kings of new york aren't we 
my my own music story is a little different. Um, so we don't have Ben with us tonight. He he's visiting family, so we've just got the two of us, and uh, that means I'm in charge of our recording platform. And uh, months ago, uh, the first time I had to do this. Uh, I was fiddling around with the settings because uh, that is what I like to do. Whenever any, if anyone gives me a technology platform, I look for a way to do something goofy with the settings. Uh, and this platform has a recorded song by someone responsible for making it. That is, a, it's a song about uh, being on hold, waiting on a conference call for other people to join. Um, and you hear it once, and it's it's mildly amusing. And then over time, you don't really want to hear it anymore. Um, unbeknownst to me, they had a whole, uh, roster of, uh, song choices. And one of those song choices, uh, which, uh, is a brilliant addition, but also a cruel addition is, uh, Rick Astley's classic, never going to give you up. And so while I was waiting for Adam, uh, to join the call, the, the opening drums of that song came on and I immediately started laughing and it, you know, Adam, it was about two minutes between, when I put it on to when, when you joined in. So I heard almost the entire song, um, which has put me in a great mood. Uh, <laughs> I feel, I feel like I've gone from with, with Rick rolling uh, in general. I feel like that song is actually kind of good now. Like unironically, <laughs> it makes me happy um, it, over time. Like I, I will add that um, my mom, when Rick Rowling first came out and it became known enough that a mom might ask uh, someone our age, what is this Rick Rowling thing? I explained it to her and she didn't get it because she just, she likes that song and, and right. always has. And was just like, so what's the, what's the problem? I don't like, get what the is, joke. <laughs> yeah. What is the joke here? Like they, you're playing a song that's fun. And I was like, mom, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people don't necessarily think that song is that good. Um, which uh, and now you have like, joined no, your mom. Yeah, camp. no, I've, I've come around to it. Um, that song is good. You, the, the video features a man wearing, it appears to be multiple blazers, but like yeah. he's pulled them up. He, he's pulled up his sleeves, except, you know, his blazer sleeves in a style that could only happen in the eighties. Um, it's, uh, it's something special. I'm just uh, amazed that you Rick rolled yourself months Yes. Ago. <laughs> this is not the first time something like this has happened to me or to someone uh, involved in my life. If you're around me long enough, you're going to end up uh, somehow stumbling across. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, my friend fell asleep. This was like a flip phone era uh, prank. And I went into his calendar and went like to the end of that year and left a message uh, or an alarm on his phone that just said, shut up. And so in like <laughs> December of that year, uh, he was, his phone started buzzing and he didn't know what it was. And he, he looked at his messages and it just said a, a calendar alert from him saying, shut up. And he didn't know who had done this to him and why. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something you should know about me. I, I will, I guess, break into your, your technology and uh, set alarms that are without your consent. So maybe I'm a bad person. You're always in for the long con. Yeah. Was the lesson I was going to take. That's a a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and really, really long term prank podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. 
he's Jason Anderson. Ben Bromley is visiting family, uh, taking a well-deserved break. So it's just the two of us tonight. Um, we've got DC United stuff to talk about. I, I think we're going to do this in one segment. So um, I don't know when the ad read is going to happen that we have in the middle of the episode. Presumably, Ben will just put it somewhere and it will probably fall in the middle of a sentence. So um, I encourage Ben to do that. That's fine with me. Uh, it's it's what I would probably do. So um, you're in for a surprise. It's going to sneak up on you um, because I'm not going to lead into the ad read. And I know Jason isn't either. So no, I wouldn't <laughs> even if I wanted to. So um, look out for that. It'll happen. Um, before we, we do any ad reads or, or talk about DC United, however, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I actually have gone, I, I took a little bit of a left turn and went out and got some wine. Um, I went looking for the Pinot Noir, I think it was the last time I had wine on the show. Um, they weren't carrying it anymore, which, uh, I should have known was going to happen to me. Um, so I sort of stood around the Pinot Noir. Uh, actually, I should note that um, while I was standing there, I, I will get to what I'm drinking in a second. I was in the wine aisle and off to one side was the wall of just um, the sort of catch all. You know, if you go to a wine place, they've usually got that one section that's just everything that didn't fit in other places. Um, so they had their miscellaneous reds and miscellaneous whites. And a lady was coming down the aisle with her friend. and she was looking for a specific spot and she was like Chile, Argentina, miscellaneous. She was actually reading the names out loud. She's like miscellaneous reds, miscellaneous whites. And as soon as she said miscellaneous whites, her friend was like, Oh, so this is where all your old boyfriends are kept. And there's like a beat. And then they both started laughing, Wow, um, which I thought was an awesome burn. Um, and awesome enough that I remembered it and have brought it to all of you. Um, I am drinking uh, Los Moros uh, Pinot Noir, which is a uh, Chilean Pinot Noir. Um, that uh, it's all right. It's not as good as the other one I was looking for, um, but it, it's pretty good. Uh, I've got um, Old Ox Brewing uh, X Ray Specs Red Rye IPA over the weekend when it was uh, much colder. I went to the store and uh, I decided to get beer while I was there, and I grabbed a stout. Um, and I can't even remember which stout it was cause it's not directly in front of me. Um, I grabbed a stout because it was cold then. And I grabbed this red rye IPA because I knew it was going to warm up and tonight it's warm. It's, it was in the seventies today, which is insane cause it's January, but it was, it was warm. It was beautiful it, outside. It hasn't been January for almost a week. It's February. You're right. Yeah. How about that? February also known for being cold, not in the seventies <laughs> right. though. So I, you know, my basic point stands. Anyway, uh, it's it's pretty good. It's a uh, very uh, kind of floral uh, IPA uh, from Old Ox up in uh, Ashburn, Virginia. So it's a local thing, and it's it's pretty good. So I'll take it. Uh, Old Ox, I believe, is the um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were the uh, brewing company that had uh, anti Red Bulls event of some kind, or. Yeah, so it, was it did they have a beer called blue ox or something like that um at some this point is a fuzzy memory uh yeah i'm 
Anyway, I know there was a brewery in Northern Virginia that got sued by Red Bull because they they had some kind of I think it may have just been Old Ox because yes. they had bovine type name and Red Bull was like no anything related to cows or oxen or or um any heifers in any beverage is the sole property of us and Old Ox was like yeah no that's not going to work and they right. actually fought it uh and presumably won uh, and Ryan Kiefer is going to listen to this and tell us all the ways in which we we got that wrong because he is more plugged into the Northern Virginia uh, brewing scene than, than either of us. So sorry That's for true. probably butchering that story, Ryan. Uh, speaking of stories that are easily butchered, um, we have to talk about what happened last Wednesday and Thursday um, when DC United found themselves thrust into European transfer deadline day drama like never before. Um, this was new. We, you know, we got a taste of, you know, TMZ tracking Ben Olsen down when the, the Wayne Rooney rumors started. And, mm-hmm. and obviously the team has been much more visible internationally since Rooney arrived. But this was our first taste of uh, having one of the big clubs of the world uh, potentially swoop for one of our players. Um, to skip to the end, Luciano Acosta remains a DC United player. That's important to to know coming through. Sometimes knowing there's an, what the ending is can help you uh, along the way. Hey, Jason, we just want to go through like the TikTok of this, like how it happened, how we experienced this, because this was a really weird kind of twenty four hours, right? Because the I mean, it was, it was ended up not even being a full 24 hours. Um, yeah. That that extra time might have been nice. Um, yeah, I, I believe almost like right after midnight that day, like 1210 or something like that, was when uh, Steve Goff uh, dropped the bomb on, on the well, post. Let, let's actually go the, even before Twitter, that, even yeah, earlier. Really. The, this My experience of this started... Um, like I went to bed early on Wednesday last week and okay. <laughs> right before I went to bed, I, I checked my phone and, and saw a tweet from Pablo Maurer of the athletic um, and open wide for some soccer. If that podcast exists again, um, saying that, that DC United had received an offer of seven and a half million for Acosta from a club in Saudi Arabia yes. and they had turned it down. And the way he phrased it was, big news DC United has received a seven and a half million dollar offer for Luciano Costa. And I just died right there. <laughs> and then while dead, I read the next line, they turned it down and managed to resuscitate myself. And I was like, okay, everything's fine. Lucho's still with us. It's okay. And I went to bed the next morning I woke up and all hell had broken loose. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because it was you- Paris Saint Germain. Well, 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 even, you know, in between those two things, uh, Goff's information was uh, a different club in Saudi Arabia for slightly more money. Um, right. But that in either case, it had been a no. And this uh, that appeared to be kind of the end of it. Um, and maybe this was me being naive, but my assumption was like, okay, that's probably the end of it. Um, all along, I was thinking more like if Acosta played really well this spring and early summer, that 
in the summer window when clubs, European clubs tend to do most of their business, um, that would be more the time. Like I, I did have the foresight to think, oh, this could come up at some point, but I was thinking one more window in the future. Um, so to then, and, and, and I should also note that, uh, unlike my normal night owl habits, um, I was winding down. I was very close to calling it a night when, when that came across, um, uh, when, when the news of PSG and a uh, possible $10 million bid came across. So that was, uh, uh, stunning to say the least. I mean, um, as much as we all, I mean, you rate, recorded a bonus episode to try to I work did. through your thoughts. Uh, well, you know, after a, you know, uh, I think I had twenty or so minutes, and then was like, I guess, you know, this, just this, the fact that I'm this stunned is itself fairly remarkable. We've been through a lot um, covering the team, and uh, there aren't too many things that are going to be that stunning. And uh, this certainly was a all by itself in its own little world. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't think any of us, even the most pro Acosta fan was not thinking PSG would come along. Um, you know, the thought was maybe more along the lines of um, a, a team maybe in that level league, but a little lower down the table. Uh, PSG is a, like a world juggernaut. I mean, they're one of the wealthiest, what, seven or eight teams in the league in the world. Easy. Yeah. Um, Right. So um, that's not who I would have expected the interest to come from. I mean, Newcastle spending uh, 20 million or whatever it was on Miguel Almiron. Um, Newcastle is maybe the level of team that I might have been thinking. Um, maybe not in England, maybe more like Spain. Um, right. But, like a Villarreal uh, or a Valencia. Yeah. Um, and, and so that would have made more sense to me to see PSG. It was almost like, what do they know that we don't know? Um, are we, are we badly underrating our own guy? What's happening? Um, and then the swirl of the rest of that day um, with, you know, it looked like it's going to happen. It looks like it's going to happen. They talked about how um, Neymar's injury was a factor that they were looking for someone to step in um, to that role uh, mm-hmm. for, for at least for a little while. But then, um, you look through PSG's player signing habits and they've got a lot of guys out on loan, um, which is kind of the thing that these, uh, the one percenter level clubs are doing now. Um, I think Man City and Chelsea sort of pioneered that, um, or at least pioneered it to the extent that these clubs can now do yeah, that the extreme degree, right? Um, where they set up, um, other top flight clubs are still sort of farm teams for them um, for this, for this purpose. Um, and P and it, you know, it definitely crossed my mind that maybe PSG is just sort of uh, acting as a speculator here and saying, let's get him now at 10 million and see if um, he can't turn it to 15 million in the next year or so. And uh, if so, then uh, we made a quick profit. Um, something like that, but, um, you know, the, the, the other, the other issue here is that a lot of the other sites that I might, I, that I know I might've looked to as an example for covering this, um, are used to covering English transfer rumors. And this was a transfer rumor based in France, um, which had the added, 
uh, disadvantage that uh, our only fluent French speaking staffer uh, is Caitlin Buckley, who lives in France and is on French time, uh, which meant that there's that disadvantage. She's also got other things going on that are not running a soccer blog. So um, she helped. She did help quite a bit in translating some things for me uh, in, on, you know, on the fly uh, when time was a crunch, but it was still, you know, the added layer of trying to parse like a Google translated version of something. And like, well, is this right? Hey, does this actually mean what I think it means? Um, you know, one mistranslated word it, with Google translate, especially you can end up with a, something that should be an affirmative statement becoming a negative statement. Um, so yeah, it was bizarre to follow this, uh, you know, I'm also now thinking that, you know, part of it was the the internal turmoil at PSG, which apparently is going on um, between the coach and the sporting director and whether there's a lot of confidence in that sporting director or not within the right. club. Let's um, let's let's get to that. Let's yeah. or let, let's go through what what happened. So Wednesday night, um, well, I guess weeks ago, PSG had actually been in touch, possibly through an intermediary at that point. Um, just inquiring about Lucho and, and kind of putting the first feelers out. Um, then an intermediary gets in touch on Wednesday during the day and says PSG is willing to offer $10 million or more for Lucho. And it's, it's real enough that Dave Casper and, and Lucho Acosta get on a plane and like Lucho leaves training and Casper leaves with him and they go to Paris. Yes. To talk to PSG. Uh, lawyer in London as well. Right. So and he comes to an Paris to meet them there. Yeah. Um, and, and they get there and PSG is like, uh, we know that guy. He, he doesn't work for us. We're not super tight with yeah. him. Um, and it, it almost sounded like they, they offered $9 million for Lucho just, you know, for your trouble. Right. Uh, Which is an amazing, like when you think of uh, the world's wealthiest soccer teams, like, these are teams that actually are wealthy enough for they'd be like, Oh, you came all this way. Um, like I'm, how I'm, much is a plane ticket these days? I'm reaching nine million my dollars. Pockets. Like I got a few million. This, I think this is nine. Is this good? Is this enough? Uh, for this? Yeah. It's like I don't think that's in, actually what happened, but it just, no. it, it, it felt a little bit that way. They had obviously like looked at Lucho and they had a value that they were willing to pay for him, yes. knowing that he would be essentially a two month, potential stand in for Neymar and then probably would be shipped off as soon as they got a decent offer for him. Um, I'm thinking just a little because- of that, that moment in um, Anchorman when uh, Chris Parnell's character is crying uh, in the aftermath of uh, Ron offending all of San Diego and Ron Burgundy says like, would you like some money for my wallet? Would that make your problems go away? <laughs> um, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, it turns out. Um, but that's what I'm thinking is PSG's version of uh, reaction to this as well. It's like, would you like some money from our bank account? Is this is, is this enough? Um, but yeah, go ahead. So <laughs> um, we find out that this is also probably PSG's sporting director who maybe initiated the contact through the intermediary because he rated Lucho. Uh, PSG's coach however, prefers a player who's been frozen out, who's been suspended yes. by, um, I think his name is what, Adrian, Adrian Rabio. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, 
who is essentially a homegrown player for them. He came up through their academy and uh, refused to sign a new contract at the end of last season and so has been suspended by the the GM, sporting director, whatever his title is. Um, the coach, Tuchel, wants him reinstated and brought back, especially now that Neymar's out and kind of, at least reportedly, vetoed this transfer mm-hmm. um, as a part of that. There was also a valuation difference between DC United and PSG. DC United wanted more than $10 million. I think they rated him at 13 million was their their asking price. PSG said 9 million. DC United said, "Well, we're willing to, to come down if you can come up and meet us partway." And PSG said, "No, 9 million sounds good. That's what we have for for this." Um and and ultimately things fell apart. And like I said at the beginning, Lucho remains a DC United player, which means I don't have to explain modern uh transfer policies and the nature of trying to make a living in a very short period of time as an athlete to my four-year-old because Lucho is her favorite player. And that was not a conversation I was looking forward to. So on a personal level, uh, I'm relieved. And as a fan, I'm also uh, relieved because Lucho is such a huge part of DC United, obviously right now. Um, Yeah. The, 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 I guess the way I would look at it is, um, as far as on the on the field impact of losing him at this stage in the year, um, if you had any op- optimism of DC United being a possible MLS Cup team, um, that would have gone away. Like that little glimmer of hope, it, it would have been gone. Um, this still would have been a good team that I would have expected to go to the playoffs, but I would not have expected much more than that. Yeah. I think at this point now, the, the, question is what now what happens next because lucho acosta is entering the final year of his contract um he's essentially a low level dp well within tam range uh at his current salary dc united offered him reportedly a essentially two million dollar a year four-year deal um that that maybe would have gone up with with incentives um he he i think they were in the middle, midst of negotiations when this paris saint-germain offer came in so that's a, a very large monkey wrench thrown right into the middle of those works um and i i think it it was an open question at least as this was developing and it was becoming clear that this was going to fall through um it was an open question where Lucho's head was going to be at and whether he would be sulking and, and upset that this didn't happen and resentful of DC United. If he felt that they blocked him from realizing this dream, which I don't care who you are. If you are an MLS player um, who hasn't played in Europe and you get an offer from PSG, you, you don't care like what their development plan is or anything. You're you have a chance to play for PSG and that's a huge opportunity. I think Pablo Maurer reported that uh, Lucho was physically shaking with excitement as he left training and to, to get on the flight. Like who wouldn't be like, is it's just a very human reaction to that kind of opportunity. So it was a question whether he would be kind of upset and, and not a hundred percent there when he got back or whether he would be 
man on fire, screw the world. I'm going to score an assist on all the goals and we are going to rip this league limb from limb. And it sounds like we might be getting the latter and that's really good, but it's not totally clear yet. Yeah. It's still completely, you know, it's, it, there are good signs. Um, The fact that he called and was immediately saying like, I'd like to come back to Florida right away. Um, right. Even after Olsen gave, said, take a couple days, he said, no, yeah. um, I'm yeah, coming. Cause everyone knows the, the, you know, imagine, um, imagine someone coming to your office and offering you, uh, more money and more prestige to do the thing that you love to do, uh, out of the blue. And then over the course of 24 hours, having it go from, this is probably going to happen to, it's not going to happen. Go back to doing what you were doing before. Um, it would be go tough back to, bounce to Beth- back. play Bethlehem steel. <laughs> Right. It would be tough to bounce back from our, you know, regular job lives, much less um, this thing that is, as you mentioned before, it's a limited time thing. Um, you don't get too many opportunities like this if you ever do. Um, so, yeah, it, it made sense for the team to offer him time to decompress um, and recover, but it sounded like he was not interested. He just wanted to get back to work. Um you know, it, what, looking around on uh, the team's social media accounts, the you know he's I think he re- uh, wished um, I think he wished Canals uh, uh, good luck um, before the U.S. game. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's posted a few other photos of um, him looking like he's you know he's having fun. Uh, I believe he was on the um, I think Chris Seitz and Frederick Briant posted photos where they were all on the same five V five team that won uh, that, that, that day's five V five tournament within the team. Um, And he looked happy about that. So um, all those signs are good. There's no reports of him being upset uh, reportedly. I I think it was golf again, because he's, he's the one person that made it down to Florida um, for this round of preseason that, uh, he spent the first half of the game against Bethlehem uh, jogging on the side and then uh, came over to join the rest of the group to watch the second half. Um, so it sounds like things are okay. Uh, that contract not being that contract extension, not being signed is still, it's still hanging over our heads. Uh, yeah, Once that's done, then it'll um, be, I think we'll all feel a lot better. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe what United has to give on that is maybe not more money so much as just uh, some sort of clause that says if an offer comes in of this amount of money, yeah, um, we have to be okay with selling it. That You know, if a club from Saudi Arabia meets that price and Lucho is not into the move, then he doesn't have to go. Right. Um, That's one thing about sales is um, unlike trades in U.S. leagues, when a club comes in to buy a player that sale is contingent in the world of soccer on coming to personal terms with the player. If the player doesn't sign a contract, then they go back to their old club. Then the sale doesn't happen. The money doesn't change hands. So that's a way actually for the player to say like, if, if some random potentially irreputable club comes along and says, we will offer you $1 billion for your star player. And the club says, great. That, that sounds awesome. And the player's like, no, they, I'm not going to go play in the Thunderdome. Um, Then, then the sale won't go through. Um, And the billion dollars 
that probably wasn't real never materializes anyway. Um, so that I think it sounded like Lucha was fine with the 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 Saudi Arabia offer being turned down, whatever the money right. was and whatever team it was, because he doesn't necessarily want to go play in Saudi Arabia. Um, right. And that that works well for for DC United as well. So there's definitely an aspect where they're they were kind of on the same page there, and and hopefully they do sign a deal. Lucho gets paid, um, and I'm very much in in team labor on this one. Uh, yeah, and, and any player that wants to get paid should try to get paid. Like I remember Dero catching flack because he was trying to to get a better contract um, in Toronto and and in New York and here and. It was like, no, he's trying to make money so that he can provide for his family and so that he can live his life because you only get so many years as a soccer player and then that money-making avenue is closed. Right. And you have a long time to live after that. So make all the money you can. Be a mercenary if that if you if you have to. Um, but but get paid. And so uh Lucho getting paid would be great. Locking him down for DC United um would be great so that he doesn't walk for free at the end of this year um, as a fan of the club, that would be awesome for them too. So I think a deal works for both of them, especially because players actually do get a percentage of transfer fees. Generally, I think it's somewhere around 10% of the money just goes straight to the player. So this $10 million offer would have meant essentially a million dollar bonus for Lucho. And and that was also an aspect that might have derailed everything. There were um, reports from France that, um, the intermediary that initially said that he was best friends with everyone at PSG would have wanted a percentage and PSG's other intermediary on their side of it might've wanted a percentage. Uh, Lucho's agent would uh, almost, I would almost certainly expect him to have written into his contract of employment, a percentage Lucho gets the 10% uh, is, is a standard uh, that's a very normal arrangement in these sort of transfers. Um, so all of a sudden, 10% set sell on for Boca juniors. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, which, um, I can't remember who put that document out, but that was a, that was a real document. Um, so yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you start chipping away at it and United also has to factor in the fact uh, that MLS still takes their, uh, their cut of everything that's left over from that. Um, and all of a sudden you don't really have that much money, um, coming your way. Um, which may have been a reason for them to say, Hey, um, we want to get, you know, all, all of these percentages need to be handled and we want to still get the money you guys are promising for our player. Um, we don't want to get that and then have to pay out everybody else. Um, that might've tripped things up as well on, on top of all the other complications within PSG. Um, that might've also been that if anything, that might've been the last straw would have just been, um, everyone's trying to get their share of things and you look at what's left for you and it's like, well, hold on a second. This, this isn't great. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully Lucho signs that deal. Uh, I think it would be good for everyone. Uh, assuming he wants to sign that deal, he doesn't want to walk. Um, it would be a great sign, uh, as a DC United fan to, to see him want to sign that deal and, and be locked in. Uh, as well. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm assuming we'll, we'll, 
hear about him playing in the preseason game on Thursday. We won't see it because it won't be streamed, just like the first preseason game, which I can tell you from reports was a one nothing victory over Bethlehem Steel. I can't tell you for sure because I didn't see it because it wasn't streamed either. Um, because for some reason, MLS doesn't require its teams to stream all preseason games. I guess DC United was the quote visiting team in both of these. And so the responsibility for streaming wasn't on them. It was on Bethlehem steel in this case. And then on FC Cincinnati for the next game on Thursday. But um, FC Cincinnati is an MLS club. Now Bethlehem steel is owned by an MLS club. um, And they're down there to participate in MLS preseason. These games should be streamed. It's, it's unfathomable at this point that they're not. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a while now that um, the league desperately needs a jolt of preseason excitement. Um, basically everyone just sits around waiting for the champions league uh, to all of a sudden now, every, now, you know, your more casual observers are like, Oh, oh yeah, that's right. MLS is back. Um and there's nothing to, there's no build up to it because so many of these preseason games are either unavailable or very difficult to locate a stream for. Um, and it's, it just seems like such a gimme to me to um, get these, you know, if anything, you would think they would go the other way and follow a different MLS tradition, which would be overhyping something that isn't that important. Yeah. Um, and if you know, we call the it the super preseason, you think they would um, pull out all the stops? <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe it's just something as simple as a name change. Um, but Which yeah, they tried. Uh, I remember they tried to call it soccer spring training for a time. Yeah, way back when. Um, but yeah, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, you've absolutely got to find some reason for people to engage with your league at this stage of the year. And the best way to do it is to show them games. Um, yeah. And these are games that are happening. Uh, let people let, let, you know, people dig in too far on things that end up being uh, meaningless. That is what preseason sports attention is about in all the other leagues that have major preseason. You have NFL preseason games where the team sends their uh, starters out to play one series. And then it's backup guys for the rest of the game. And those games are on national television. Uh, You know, MLS needs to, MLS normally needs to maybe get away from thinking like the NFL, but that's an instance where they probably would be better off if they took uh, a similar tact uh, and started telling teams, like at the very least start telling teams, if you want to have a closed preseason game, that is fine, but you have to pay this small fine. Uh, otherwise your games have to be streamed. You have to go, you have to, uh, if it, if you make an honest attempt and it fails for some reason, if, you know, we've seen games in Bradenton in the past where it looked like the camera was possibly blown off a building, um, then okay, fine. You know, if you can prove that you made a real attempt to stream and it failed for some reason, then so be it, you know, but at least make the attempt. Um, and, to go, you know, you mentioned that this game was against someone affiliated with the union. Uh, my understanding from the folks at the brotherly game is that they were being told that this game was actually closed to the public, um, which is different from what DC United was telling people, which is basically 
we're not selling tickets. We're not really putting it out there that the game is open to the public. But if people show up, then we're not going to turn them away. Steve Goff was certainly there. Yes. And and there were other people there um, from the photos that were going around. Um, The folks at the Bar Bravo uh, had someone that that they knew somebody that was at the game uh, sending along um, a little information on the goal scorer in this game, which was Shinya Kadono, the uh, third round draft pick, um, who came in for the injured Wayne Rooney, which was briefly terrifying, but it turned out to not be that big of a deal. I guess we should talk about the actual game to the extent that we can. As Jason said, um, the game's only goal was scored by Shinya Kodono, um, who I think was playing on the wing in the second half is what I had read. Yes. I, um, he he was a forward in college and, and played forward for uh, yeah. the, or I guess the he last was a, half hour of the first half. But Yeah, he, he had been a, a wide midfielder at some point, um, but his his uh, highlight reel from Cal from his senior year was basically him up front by himself, uh, very clearly leading the line. So he got to do a little of both uh, in this game. Um, Rooney, I guess, was injured in a collision with uh, the goalkeeper. That's um, what it sounded like. Tried to tried to soldier on. Uh, actually, ended up having a header. After he got injured, he came back into the game, had a header that got blocked by a defender, and then after that, was like, oh, I might as well you know, not push this thing in case it, in case it is an injury that needs uh, to be looked after. Um, it apparently turned out to just be a bruised chin. So yeah, he, he's, he sat out on Monday um, and we're in two a day season cause it's the preseason. So he set out both rounds of, of training on Monday and came back Tuesday as we record this. He's, he was back in training today. So that's good. Uh, crisis averted. <laughs> Um, Jason, do you have the the lineup pulled up? I, I guess I it's worth it's worth going through that just to kind of see where where things are in the depth chart. United, we're missing. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Three starters due to um, international call-ups plus Lucho Acosta, who Ben Olsen held out for this game because he got off the plane 12 hours before it started. Um, so, so no Paul Ariel in this one, no 
Russell Knauss and no um Joseph Mora. Thank you, Joseph Mora, for for this one. Um mm-hmm. I guess that Joseph Moore is a, a good segue to to say that Akeem Ward has signed officially. He's yes. he's locked down for the year and he was playing left back, so we know who our backup left back is. Yeah, at least at least for the time being. Um so you had um Hamid in goal to start, um Leonardo Hara, uh Frederick uh Frederick Briant, Steven Birnbaum, and Ward were the back four. Um Chris Durkin and Junior Moreno uh underneath. Uh, the attacking midfield trio of Segura Rodriguez as the 10 uh, and Zoltan Stieber, who um, appears to, you know, uh, one thing that we didn't really mention with the Lucho thing was that if he had transferred, it appeared very likely that United was going to then go back to Vela Sarsfield and bring Emil Assad back. Um, but uh, that hasn't been the case, which means Zoltan Stieber's spot uh, on the roster appears to st- be fairly secure at this point. It did not seem like he was going to be around um, this year, but now it kind of seems like uh, if anything, he's going to be uh, a a pretty regular player for this team uh, after all that. Um, And then Rooney up top for the 18 minutes that he was involved in the game. Um, Kadono came in for him after that. Um, And then in the second half, things got, a little interesting. I, I think I'm reasonably sure that um, he uh, that Ben Olsen ended up changing the team to a four four two based on personnel, um, which might sound like um, you know on the surface it might sound like sort of ignoring um, the whole preseason purpose of working on uh, attacking movements and team shape and all that. But United often defends out of a four four two anyway. Um, so it's not too different from what they what they do on a regular basis. Um, also, so at would, some point, they had to ask Bethlehem Steel to loan them a player for yes. a few minutes. Um, to so that at that point they were just trying to get make something coherent on the field as well. Um, right, like it, um, it doesn't make sense to play a formation when you don't have players that can play that formation. Yeah, the, the situation was that um, uh, Academy player Gabe Siegel apparently picked up a knock. And that was, you know, having the one injury in the game already had pretty much uh, put United down to the bare. They had just enough players at that point. Um, I suppose they could have put uh, Chris Seitz in as a field player. That was pretty much their only other option. Um, and so for 10 minutes, uh, a union Academy player, uh, was put in, uh, on United side uh, as a forward to basically, um, just sort of run around, uh, I would guess, um, having not spent any time in United's training uh, sessions, I don't know that he would have known much, uh, much of what to do. Um, or at least as far as, as they would have liked. Um, but yeah, it, in the meantime, during that, um, the period before that, before um, they made that move, um, they had a back four of uh, Colton Storm, who is on trial, uh, had been with Sporting KC and with their USL affiliate, uh, Swope Park Rangers. Um, Donovan Pines and Jalen Robinson were the center backs. Uh, Pebo Dule, who used to be in United's Academy, was at left back. Um, he played with uh, North Carolina. He's been in USL for, I think, four years now. 
Um, he was with North Carolina last year. Um, they had another Academy player, uh, Brian Kao, uh, as a defensive midfielder. Antonio Bustamante was the attacking midfielder. Cadono was out on the right. Uh, Gio Alves, the other third round pick for United, he was on the left side. And uh, up front, they had uh, Siegel, who I mentioned before, and um, Kyle Murphy, who is a trialist more for Loudon than anything else. Uh, he played with uh, San Antonio FC last year and has been, I think he's in his mid 20s, like 25 or 26. So he's been in USL for a couple of years now. Um, my understanding from reading around is that he's really more of a, he's a winger forward, but more on the winger side than on the forward side of that, uh, that divide. Um, he played up top in this game. Um, we'll see what their plans are with him. You know, a player of that, that level that's been at the USL level for a while, um, given that Loudon doesn't have any players formally signed, you kind of expect a guy like that to end up getting signed if he's already getting an invite to camp. Um, but we'll see. Um, I know Richie Williams is down there observing all these training sessions um, and, you know, making some decisions of his own. So um, that one might be sort of his call because that would be a player on a USL deal, most likely rather than someone United signs and then sends down. So um, that one, they might leave up to him. I don't, we still don't know how much control they're actually giving uh, to that side of the of of the organization on how that roster looks, but um, yeah, and then the the union player, in case you for I guess for the sake of completion, um, was uh, Shander Borgelin, uh, I believe I might be pronouncing his name wrong, um, and he played ten minutes uh, up top. That that's really all we can say about the the way the game went because. Like we said before, we didn't see any of it. It it, it did it, sound like uh, I think Earl Edwards Jr. Uh, had to make one notable save on a shot that kind of got through a bunch of people, um, and that's really all he had to do. And and Hamid had less to do than that. So um, at least they weren't under siege against uh, a USL team. That yeah even in the second half, um, which is, which is good. Um, a game that, that was on TV was the U S national team playing against Costa Rica in San Jose, California. Um, game they won two to nothing. Greg Burhalter now is coach of the U S national team has a, uh, a plus five goal differential. Pretty good. Five goals for none allowed. Um, Goals from from Sebastian Legette and somebody you guys may have heard of, Paul Ariola, uh, who who was also Jason, I think, the best player on the field in this game. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I know there are arguments out there for other players. Um, right, Legette ended with a, a goal and an assist as a sub. So, you know, anyone who loves counting stats is going to enjoy that performance. I think, but there, like Ariola was dominant on the left side for this game. Yeah. I, he was a constant problem for Costa Rica. Every, every time the U S got him the ball in isolation, it seemed like um, something good happened um, or at the very least, something potentially good could have happened. It was a lot of um, danger, uh, either actual danger or something very close to it. 
Um, you know, he the only real turnovers I, I pull up his passing map, and the only missed passes he has are they're all passes into the box. Um, the passes in the possession phase, he completed all of them. Everything that he turned the ball over is an attacking third pass that was designed uh, to try and create a chance for somebody else. Um, he was a dribbling threat frequently. Um, the fullback, uh, Kasher Fuller, who was on the right side for 90 minutes, did not know what to do about Paul mm-hmm. Ariola. Um, pretty much at any point, there was never a, t- a point in the game where he looked comfortable with him. Um, you probably, you, you get the sense that he might've been relieved to see when, um, the substitution that saw, um, Jonathan Lewis come into the game with 20 minutes to go. Ariola moved over to the right side. Um, Fuller, I'm sure was very relieved, uh, to see Ariola go away, but then, but then <laughs> just went and scored a goal. Um, well, and the first goal came when Jonathan Lewis, I don't know if he was up against Fuller on mm-hmm. that play. But Jonathan Lewis created the first goal yes. um, by by just freezing a defender and sending in a, a, a relatively short but looping cross right. to the back which post. Is, which, uh, it could have been very frustrating for Ariola because at that point he had set, I think, three different really good chances up that had just been wasted by yeah. um, various other players um, at various different times. It, it wasn't one person. It was several. Um and then the first thing Lewis does when he comes into the game is send in a similar cross. And then finally someone actually applies a proper finish. Um, but he didn't let it get him down, obviously, because he ended up scoring uh, an 88th minute uh, goal to cap things off. Um, kind of running on to, a, um, a, you know, Ram- Christian Ramirez dropped, dropped back into midfield, flicked the ball on legit ran onto it and played the right pass at the right time. And all of a sudden, Ariola is in alone. You know, it was a very route one kind of goal. Um, yeah. What was funny about that, too, is if you like watching it live, I remember they let the camera linger on Zach Steffen after he he made that that goal kick. And he you could just see he basically his face was the grimacing emoji. Mm-hmm. And he just he wasn't happy with it. I think he he it didn't go exactly where he wanted it to. And Ramirez had to sprint to get his head onto that for the flick on. And it ended up working really, really well. It's one of those almost broken plays that, that just right. works because everybody was lined up exactly right. And, you know, Ramirez made the the right flick and uh, Ariel and Legette both made the right runs. And, you know, Ariola started his run as soon as that flick happened. He was, on his horse before mm-hmm. Legette ever got to the ball, which he had to have been because otherwise he wouldn't have been in behind the defense the way he was. So it was his great recognition from both him and Legette, who is a very good player. I like Legette a lot, notwithstanding the fact he plays for the galaxy. Um, so it, it was great to see. I think it, it was good to see that Ariola can contribute on the left side as well mm-hmm. um, because he's been, I think, when he's been on the wing, it's been exclusively on the right side almost for DC United. He's played a few minutes here and there on the left because Ben Olsen likes to do that um, within the game, but he, he hasn't spent a considerable time out on the left side. And so seeing that as an option, um, especially since he can provide that athletic threat while being inverted mm-hmm. could potentially allow um, like if, if TT is not available or has to play in the middle or whatever, you can still keep, 
Zoltan Stieber inverted on the right side and have Areola on the left as that more athletic option that we know Olsen likes uh, to have. And I think for good reason. Um, we've talked about in the past, the team becomes a little too predictable and a little too easy to keep in front of um, without the kind of pace or or at least first step that, that Areola provides. So being able to put that out in different places and not just on the right side is, is definitely a good development for DC United. Yeah. And, and you know, on, on top of adding some diversity to Ben Olson's portfolio, when he looks at um, putting his lineup on the field and, and what he can do with that group, um, the fact that Ariel is at playing at this level right now, um, oh, for sure. this isn't a situation where he's going to come in, um, you know, some of, you know, under the previous uh, national team coaches, the camps were not necessarily that well run. And uh, you end up with players that might have been coming and they're a little confused. You know, maybe maybe their fitness is good, but they are maybe not in the best headspace uh, because of Jurgen Klinsmann handing them confusing or contradictory uh, uh, roles or Bruce Arena probably just, you know, I guess he never got a winter camp with uh, that group, but. Nonetheless, it was a bad, it was a dark time for uh, the national team program with those guys. Um, so, yeah, it, it's nice for Ariola where, um, and for Canals, even though Burhalter made a pretty clear error in not putting him in the games. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, um, we, I mean, Burhalter deservedly has gotten a lot of praise for his, the clarity of his vision and his ability to articulate that in the press and in interviews and um, on the field as well. Like you can watch the team and know exactly what it is they're trying to do. But um, I don't understand why Russell Knaus can't get a sniff. Um, He was brought into camp. He's I guess he's not known for his long switches the way Will Trapp and Michael Bradley are. They're two of the best at hitting that long diagonal ball into, into um, or to a player not even into space. Um, it's something we've seen Chris Durkin do very well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really Russell Knauss's game, but we also saw Will Trap in the first half against Costa Rica be a little bit overrun by yeah. everything because he he's not as athletic or as mobile as, as Knauss. And, you know, that's if you want to, not be generous to Knaus, that's a trade-off. I think Knaus can hit those balls. He's made some really good passes for DC United. Um, and even though Ben Olsen's system doesn't rely on that big switch the way Burhalter's does, I don't see any reason why why Knaus wouldn't be able to do it. I, I, I guess it's possible he wasn't doing it in training, but Burhalter didn't send him home. He brought him to San Jose and then didn't even put him on the bench. It was really weird. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, the first game you think, okay, he has a plan in place. He wants to see how the team plays this way with Michael Bradley. So be it. Um, and maybe the, maybe things went well enough. You know, maybe if uh, Nick Lima hadn't done so well at that right back slash defensive midfield role, um, maybe he would have tried a slightly different look uh, for the second game uh, just to have to, you know, to compare the two. Um, maybe that's a factor uh, that the first time it went well enough that it was worth repeating. 
Um, but it, nonetheless, I, I think you're kind of you, you kind of got towards something that that I've been thinking for a while, which is that um, I think Canals is more likely to be able to replicate um, Trap's passing range than Trap is likely to replicate Canals' ability to win the ball. Um, yeah, be- because we have a long, you know, years long uh, track record with Trap not being able to replicate that. Um, and I think, you know, Canals' role isn't really with DC United. It's not really to do that. Um, but there's a difference between having a role that doesn't really include something and simply not being able to do it. And Trap physically cannot replicate Canals' ability to cover ground in the quickness that he does. Um, it's one of those underrated things. We don't really think about uh, speed with central players, but Canals doesn't let anyone breathe on the ball because he's just there so quickly. Um, and trap can't do that. Uh, he, he does not, it's not a role thing. It's not a tactical thing. It's a thing he physically cannot mimic. Um, and so it's, it's, unfortunately it's kind of our worst fears with, uh, the canal situation, which is that, um, Burhalter has always, regardless of formation, he's always preferred, uh, a deep midfielder who is sort of static and, uh, more of a, a reference point than someone who roves around. He doesn't really like that look out of his uh, most defensive minded midfielder. Um, and the, once you factor in his decision that he wanted to go with um, one player deep and then two further forward uh, in his midfield triangle, that kind of ruled Canals out um, as far as having, a, at least as far as having the best place on the field available to him. Um, unfortunately that kind of figured against it. I personally think he's still, uh, that Burhalter still should have had a look at this, um, maybe with Roldan and Canals underneath and Mihailovic a, a little further forward. Um, obviously it would have meant not playing with Lima having those two roles, but, um, I would have liked to see a comparison rather than, this, you know, having just one setup uh, and having that be the only thing that that's going on uh, tactically. But, um, you know, I, I, I at the at same time, I do understand having one tactical look you want to drill yes. on in, in the January camp and then run it out in both games, um, which is a, a departure from Jurgen Klinsmann, who spent the entire right. January camp drilling a three man back line and then ditched it after one half of one game. So I I can appreciate what he did there, but I still think that you can give Russell Knauss an assignment to be more of a a reference point, as you said, and not be that roving destroyer. He's a good enough player that he can, he can follow that instruction, presumably. Um, And I would have liked to see him get the opportunity to, again, we weren't in training. We don't know if he just didn't perform, if he was mishitting passes or, or what, but it, it's hard to see him. It's hard to consider the idea that he performed poorly enough in, in these training sessions, not to get a look. Yeah. And I guess the, the consolation prize I have for, for DC United uh, as a fan base is that um, at least with this, like I can, there's a soccer argument for going this way instead um, I disagree with it. I think you disagree with it. Um, we probably all disagree with it, but at least there's a case that can be laid out 
that makes some sense. Um, whereas under Klinsman, we didn't even have, you know, who knows, who knows why anything happened. Um, at least with Burhalter, and I think, think this is going to be the, the case of things going forward. We're always going to know he's going to explain what he was thinking. Um, and it's going to make a certain amount of sense. It might not end up being correct, but the math will at least carry through. Um, you know, the numbers, if you subtract number A from number B, the number, the outcome is going to be what it should be mathematically. Whereas under Klinsman, you know, he might have number A minus number B equals some words instead of numbers um, or like a picture uh, or a drawing of something. <laughs> um, the the math did not at any you point just, add up. You just convinced me that Jurgen Klinsman was actually Norm McDonald's uh, impression of Burt Reynolds from Celebrity Jeopardy. I mean, it would have the, the tactics probably would have looked pretty much the same. It's um, a funny hat. See, it's it's funny because it's a big hat. It's bigger than a normal hat. Colin, yeah. the Jurgen Klinsman story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for all your book title needs. Looking forward. Um, for the national team, they they're they're playing what in March? They're they're playing yeah, the next, another the game in Orlando, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be during a FIFA window, so we'll see potentially the the full contingent of American and European based uh, players, which means Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, potentially Tim Weah, um, Matt Miazga, John Brooks, uh, the the whole gamut of people you expect to be called in Deandre Yedlin potentially. Um, and I'm, I'm curious because there's been a debate about where, where Tyler Adams fits best at the international level. Um, he, he spent most of his time for Red Bulls, both Red Bulls teams, I guess, as a, a central midfielder kind of helping with the, the press and the counter press there. He's also spent some time at right back. Um, where where Matt Doyle for one thinks he could be elite world class level at right back. He's a very very good central midfielder. He could be potentially world class at right back in in some people's estimation. And I'm really really curious if Greg Berhalter is just going to say, "All right, you're going to play both. You're going to be our right back slash central midfielder." <laughs> and it's like I am going to cut the Gordian knot. And that is that is going to be Greg Berhalter. What he's remembered for <laughs> is making yeah. Tyler Adams play both positions. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I mean, that's going to be a pretty interesting development to see how he incorporates those guys, which which of those guys he wants to incorporate. Um, we, we don't know who his favorites are, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and we, I just realized I didn't mention Christian Pulisic, which is kind of criminal on my part. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw uh, that you out. Know, just you a know, guy just on the, the team. <laughs> He's a squad player. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, he's one. Him and him and Adams, I feel like, are gonna get that. They're they're gonna get the call. Um, but you know how they how they're implemented into this setup. If if it's tweaked at all, um, that's something that's up for grabs. Because um, on one hand, Adams could certainly do that. Nick Lima role at an even higher level. But on the other hand, DeAndre Yedlin is probably one of the seven or eight best uh, American field players. Um, 
I don't think we're so good that you can just be like, yeah, well, we're dropping you because of the system. On the other hand, Burhalter is already with Canals kind of given us a look into possibly being willing to drop players because of the uh, preferring the system. Um, so that's certainly something to watch out for, which might be uh, pretty controversial. But if if he was thinking, hey, how do I find um, the best stand in for Tyler Adams in this camp and he gets Nick Lima out of it and he gets a pretty good performance uh, better than I certainly I would have expected. Yeah. Nick um, Lima, I think it, Matt Doyle ranked him as the biggest winner of this camp and there's no, I, I don't think there's much argument from yeah. anyone. He, he was really impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and so if, if you look at that and think, well, Tyler Adams, uh, we actually know he can play those two roles. So it, it should be even better. Um, with him doing that, um, what does that do with, uh, what does that, with Yedlin? What does it do with, you know, I might've expected, um, before this, if you told me that there would be a four, three, three with, a, a you know, a bottom point, uh, anchor man, and then two further forward, I've th- I would have thought, okay, Adams might be that anchor player. Um, but he might also be one of the guys, uh, further forward, um, depending on, you know, Weston McKinney, I think at Schalke just plays whatever position is needed that day. Um, yes, I feel like Burhalter probably has a more specific plan in place than, okay, this week we have an injury on the left side. So, uh, Weston, you're going to play left back, um, because that's just what we do now. That's just a thing that happens. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen Schalke play this year. Uh, I've seen their formations come out on Twitter when people are invariably like, look at where he's playing this week. Um, but my I understanding got McKinney is bingo, that, by the way, the other week. You did? Yeah, he filled out my card. Yeah. <laughs> um, Played all the positions in the right order. You know, I, my understanding is that they don't really keep the ball at all. Um, so there's a lot of just defensive running no matter what. Um, but, I, you know, I think now that we've seen Berhalter go the way he did, you kind of imagine, okay, Adams could fit into the Lima role, which means um, you have the option of having McKenney and Pulisic in those, you know, central roles where McKenney would be Christian Roldan um, from this camp. Um, you don't have to play Pulisic out on the wing, um, which is where he plays best at club level and probably in a vacuum. Um, but the national team probably still needs him in the middle because he's the best player on the team. Yeah, especially the way Greg Berhalter has been asking the wingers to play in this, which is as traditional wingers uh, staying out wide until very, very deep in the final third, especially because the fullbacks aren't overlapping. One of them's turning into a central midfielder. The other one's turning into a central defender when, you know, in the possession phase. So you don't want to just isolate Christian Pulisic way out on the the touchline. Um, when he plays the wing for for Dortmund, there's a wing back overlapping. So he he does come inside earlier than he would in this system. So it, there's a really good argument, I think, for putting him in the middle. Um, and not just because he's played there for the US and played well. He he was in the middle when we beat Honduras six nothing in uh, World Cup qualifying, the last actual bright moment before all the light in the world died. Uh, so I, I completely agree that, that he makes a lot of sense in the middle of the park. I guess we'll find out in March. 
yeah. hopefully hopefully we see DC United players involved in that and doing well and uh, becoming part of the the national team setup for real going forward. Um, free Knaus, fist in the air. Uh, free Hamid, fist in the air. That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. And and Ben, if you're still listening, thanks for for editing this, even though you you didn't speak on the show. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu at blackandredu. Send, uh, give us your money at patreon.com slash filibuster. We give you things in return. There, there are special episodes, um, like the one Jason did reacting to, uh, to the Acosta news that turned out not to be in the end. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us, subscribe, download, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, please tell a friend about the show when you're, you're talking about, you know, going to Audi field for the opener on March 3rd, mention this podcast that you listen to. And we would really appreciate that for Jason and no one else, I guess, Ben, who is actually producing the show still, despite not being on it. Like I said, uh, I'm Adam and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Yeah, I'm dancing.